You know, it's, uh, I, I realize that most of us are creatures of habit, and all of our routines and habits were absolutely thrown out the window this morning. Uh, you know, most of us sit in the same place every Sunday, and none of us are sitting where we usually sit today. It reminds me, um, the first church I served was Reed Memorial Presbyterian Church in Augusta, Georgia. I was Dan McCall's associate pastor here. There, uh, This is a picture of the sanctuary of Reed Memorial Presbyterian Church. Uh, when we were there, we actually did a renovation of the interior of that sanctuary. And one week, we took all of the pews on one side of the church out and sent them to be refinished, these beautiful hardwood pews, sent them all out and replaced like this side with vintage 1950s metal folding chairs. So the next Sunday, everybody came to church as usual, and they kind of walked in and, and looked around, and these folks sat down where they always sat, and it was uncomfortable. So the next Sunday, the folks that, this is, this, I'm not joking, this really happened. The folks that sit over here came early <laughs> to get the pews that were over here because the pews had cushions in them. So the folks that ordinarily sit over here came in as usual to get their usual seat and they found you all sitting over here. And they looked at you as they like. <laughs> and they came in and sat over here in those wonderful metal folding chairs. So the next Sunday, the folks who ordinarily sit over here came double extra early in order to get their cushioned pews, only to find that the pews were back over here and there were metal folding chairs over here. And so they came and sat over here and for about six or seven weeks, Dan McCall and I would sit up in the chancel of the church and just watch as fruit basket turnover took place in the, we can take roll by just looking around, but not for those couple of months, we couldn't do it. Routines were upset, patterns were disrupted, but guess what? Jesus was still worshiped. It reminds me of the line that a friend of mine shared with me uh, about a month or two ago. He said, blessed are the flexible, for they shall not be bent out of shape. <laughs> so friends, let's be flexible for the next X many months. And let's not be bent out of shape. Let's simply worship God. Let me, join me in prayer if you would. God, thanks for the gift of this day and for our ability to be molded by your Spirit. May that Spirit take us and, and mold us today by your Word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want you to think about something in your past that you'd rather not think about. I want you to think about something that, that you did that you wish you had not done or, or something that you said that you wish you had not said. And, and whether it was last week or 15 years ago, it continues to weigh upon you. It was, it was something that in golfing terminology, you would like a mulligan. You would like to have a do-over because this is something 
that so messed up others' lives or so messed up your life, it's hard for you to get beyond it. All of us, friends, have things in our lives for which we long to be released, set free, forgiven. And it's to people like that that the Bible in Matthew 18 tells a story that is followed up by another story. So listen with me to the Word of God as it comes from Matthew 18, beginning at verse 21. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I don't say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But that same servant went out. He found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii and seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Sounds exactly like what he did earlier. Have patience with me and, and I will pay you. He refused and had him put in prison until he should pay the debt. Now, when his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. And his master summoned him and said, You wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? In anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay the debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to each one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. The same Holy Spirit who inspired their writing and preservation of these words inspire them for our understanding today as well. Forgiveness is something all of us want, all of us need, all of us long for. It's sometimes something that we hold on to too often. It's important, I think, to understand what the word really means. The Greek word that is translated forgive or forgiveness is the Greek word aphiemi. And what it means is to send off, to release, or to let go, to just turn loose and not hold on to it any longer. How many times have you or I held on to it, kept it behind, refused to release it, or refused to let something go? We hold on to it and we hold it over each other's heads. Now in this story, we see G Peter come to Jesus and ask a simple question. How many times do I have to forgive my brother uh, when he sins against me? Up to seven times. Now, when Peter asks that question and uses the number seven, he's actually being, in his mind at least, incredibly gracious because the rabbinic teaching of the day said that if Jay Madden called me his acolyte once, 
I would forgive him. If he does it a second time, I would forgive him. If he does it a third time, I would forgive him. But not the fourth time. Based on an understanding of readings from the prophet Amos, the rabbinic teaching was that you forgive someone three times, but that's it. So Peter is saying seven times, does that mean that I, uh, double, I am doubly gracious? That it's not just three times, it's twice that, it's six plus one for good measure. So Peter's actually being, in the eyes of the people that day, very gracious. And then Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 77 times, at which you can see Peter's face fall. Now, Jesus is teaching by hyperbole here. He doesn't mean that, that I walk around with a, a tablet and a, a pen and keep track. And once, some, you know, once Jay calls me his acolyte 77 times, I never have to do that again. Jesus is essentially saying, you keep on forgiving. You keep on forgiving. One of the things that we tend to forget uh, in this story is that Peter's brother Andrew was actually one of the other disciples as well. This is a, a picture from the TV series, The Chosen, that shows Peter and Andrew you know, look at these two guys, you know, they're smiling, they're laughing, they're having a good time. Obviously, these siblings get along well with one another. So why would Jesus, or, or why would Peter wonder how many times he should forgive Andrew? But you know, it's our siblings who know us best, and it's our siblings, the people who are closest to us, who know how to get on our last nerve quicker than anyone else. Here's another slide from The Chosen that lets you see these guys are not getting along so well today. So maybe in this story, it's not just a, a philosophical question. Maybe Andrew has gotten on Peter's last nerve one too many times. Peter is over it, and he asks Jesus, how long do I have to put up with this guy? Do I stop after seven? And when Jesus says no, not seven, 77, Peter is suddenly thinking, oh boy, this is a game changer. A number of years ago, I was um, in my, what I call my first tour of duty here at Peachtree from 89 to 95. I was a singles minister here. And I remember one night I had a, an appointment with a guy who was going through a divorce. And it was a divorce that he did not want that he did not see coming, that yes, he had contributed to, but he was really, really anger and bitter about this divorce. And as we talked and I asked questions and he shared more about himself and about his life, I began to realize that this guy was basically building a wall between himself and his ex so that she could no longer have any impact in his life. And as we talked and as I listened, I heard him tell stories about someone else who had hurt him, and he was putting these little bricks of unforgiveness up between himself and this other person. And then he began to tell a story about someone else and how they had hurt him, and he was withholding forgiveness from that person, 
And he was walling them off, putting up these bricks of lack of forgiveness between himself and that person as well. And it suddenly occurred to me, it's not that this guy was walling other people out, but by his refusal to forgive others, he was building walls and boxing himself in. He'd made himself a prisoner of his own unwillingness to forgive others. How many times have you or I done something similar? Someone's done something to us and we've not forgiven them and we just kind of wall that person off. We don't want to have anything to do with them. And someone else does that and, and we wall them off and we don't want to have anything to do with them. Someone else does that and we wall them off and we don't want to have anything to do with them. Whether it's Peter talking about Andrew and Simon the Zealot and Matthew or one of the other disciples or it's you or me dealing with the reality of living in the 21st century. We wall ourselves in. And friends, realize that our unwillingness to forgive others leads to our own hardness of heart. It doesn't punish them. We punish ourselves. The story that Jesus uses to illustrate his answer to Peter is an absolutely ridiculous story when you really get into it and unpack it. So let's take a look at the numbers behind the story Jesus tells about a man who calls in people. The biblical scholarly theory is that this is a political reality, that there is someone who oversees a large empire and he has different people in different places ruling over different areas. And, and one of those people is called in and we learn that he owes 10,000 talents. Now, let's unpack that for just a minute. A talent, one talent, is the equivalent of 6,000 daily wages. Now, in the United States of America today, the average daily wage is $87.92. That's based on a national average of $10.99 an hour. So 10,000 talents comes to, what is that, $5 billion $275,200,000. I don't know what you make. But I'm telling you right now, that's a chunk of change. So this guy is brought in and told that he owes this much money, and it is absolutely impossible for him to be able to pay that back. I had a little fun this week playing around looking at that number. It would take several of the top grossing athletes together to be able to pay off that amount. There was no way in this day and age that this guy was going to be able to pay that off. And for the, the, his master, his leader, to say throw him in jail means he is going to be abjectly humiliated. So he falls down, he begs forgiveness, and in an act of incredible forgiveness, the guy says, you know what, okay, I'll let you go, never mind. So he leaves, 
He walks out. He's been forgiven. He's set free. This, this huge weight on his shoulders has been removed. It's not there any longer. He walks out. He stumbles across a guy who owes him 100 denarii. Now, in today's dollars, one denarii is the equivalent of about $3.85. So, a hundred denarii is $385. You've just been forgiven $5,275,200,000, and you're going to choke a guy over 385 bucks. Has him thrown into prison until he can pay it back. Word gets back, master calls him back in, says, I'm reneging on what I said, you to jail. And Jesus says, this is how my Father in heaven will treat you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Have you been transformed by God's forgiveness? Or has your unwillingness to forgive others gotten in the way of you receiving and trans being transformed by God's forgiveness? In May of 1981, a man named Mehmet Ali Agha tried to assassinate Pope John Paul II. He shot him. John Paul took a, a round to the abdomen. It was on May 13th that this happened. Four days later, on May 17th, from his hospital bed, Pope John Paul II announced to the world that he was forgiving the man who tried to assassinate him. Now, he was still guilty of a crime. He'd been apprehended and, and was being held. He was ultimately convicted and sent to prison. There are consequences to action, but still, John Paul II announced that he was forgiving the man. Two years later in December, John Paul II was going to visit a prison, and they arranged to have the man who tried to kill him transferred to that prison. And John Paul II actually met with Mehmet Ali Agha. Forgiveness is above all a personal choice, a decision of the heart to go against the natural instinct to pay back evil with evil. Forgiveness can transform us and our relationships. The lack of sharing forgiveness with others causes us to have a hard heart. In 1956, missionary Jim Elliott, along with four other men, flew a plane over a river in Ecuador, and having done this several times earlier, had identified a native tribe, and, and they landed on a sandbar and interacted with some of the natives. Their desire was to talk to the natives. They had learned some of their language and to talk to them about Jesus and his love. Every one of those men was killed that day. They were speared by the natives who didn't understand who they were or what they were doing, and their lives came to a sudden end. Jim Elliott left behind a wife, Elizabeth, and a young daughter, and two years later, Elizabeth Elliott walked to that village with her daughter and began to live with that tribe to talk to them about Jesus 
and to share the forgiveness of Jesus with them. We can be transformed by God's forgiveness and we can withhold God's forgiveness and let it lead to a hard heart. A number of years ago, I read an article by a Christian psychologist by the name of Andre Bustinobi, and some of you have heard me share this in other settings. The article was entitled, How Do You Forgive the Unrepentant? And in the article, he talks about the difference between theological forgiveness and psychological forgiveness. Now, theological forgiveness is what God has done for us. God looks at us and sees the transgressions in, their, in our lives, whether they are small or large, and, and forgives that $5,275,200,000 debt that we owe, something that we could not repay ourselves. God forgives us and totally restores the relationship with us. It's as if Mary Hoffman got mad at me one day. I'm sure you've never done that. She's counting up to 77. And uh, decides to go out and as she's leaving at the end of the day, keys my car. I drive a red Ford pickup, by the way. And I go out at the end of the day, and I say, what in the world? And so I come back inside, and I go into the security office and say, somebody's keyed my card. We, we pull the security footage up, and we see Mary big as life, <laughs> keying my car. So the next day, we're in the office, and I say, Mary, what's the deal? I didn't do that. Mary, I've got you on video. Yeah, okay. And she admits that she did it, that it was, you know, temporary insanity. She just snapped, was having a bad day, and decided to take it out on me. And she says, let me, I'm going to make this right, Chuck. I'm sorry. Um, let's get three estimates, and you pick whichever one you want, and I will pay for your car to be repaired. And I said, you know what? Done. Let's go get lunch. The relationship is completely restored. That's theological forgiveness, what Jesus did with us. Psychological forgiveness, on the other hand, is when someone has done something to me and they just absolutely deny that it ever happened. Or they're no longer alive. I can't restore that relationship. That's when psychological forgiveness has to kick in so that I am no longer responsible for carrying the burden of not forgiving the other person. Because if I don't forgive, then I'm putting those, sound like Pink Floyd now, just another brick in the wall walling people off from myself, but functionally walling myself in. If that person is still around and alive and a part of my life and, and they deny that they ever did anything wrong, I'm still going to let it go. Remember that forgiveness means to release, to send off, to let go, to just turn loose and not carry that any longer. 
If I don't do that, then I grow a hard heart. And if I don't forgive others, then the text says God is less likely to forgive me. Friends, in Jesus, God offers you his unlimited, unconditional love and forgiveness. He's restored the relationship with you. And he offers you the ability to do the same, to forgive others from the heart, to let go, to release, and be freed. Let's pray together. Father, the debt that we owed you is so overwhelming. It's hard to fathom. And yet in Jesus, you have forgiven every, everything from the little things that are just slip-ups to the big things that we wish we could go back and change history. Breathe your forgiveness into us and enable us to share that forgiveness with others so this world may reflect your love. In Jesus' name, amen.